that's a volatile mix of Waffle House because you got like your drunk Alabama school frat boys down there. You got some touristy Midwesterners who are looking to show out. You got locals who got nothing to lose. It's an amazing blend. Drunk Alabama schoolboy, you got me terrified. Yeah. You want yeah, me all to of that, you want me frankly, to be scared? Oh. But that specifically. I know they don't look scary, but they terrify me because I watched the Eyes on the Prize series um growing up. I don't know What's if you that? have that. No, oh, I don't know. Oh no. Yeah. It's a it's a documentary series uh about the fight for freedom for black people in America. Mm, and never heard of it. When I <laughs> you should watch it. When I watch Alabama football games, those guys and their haircuts and, and their polo or their yeah, their polos and their button downs look a lot like the people that was spitting that little girl trying to get an education, man. I'm sorry. It's not where I planned on starting the show. I'm sorry, everyone. I apologize. Let's talk about football. football. Oh, such an easy segue. Oh. I mean, but I'm not going to do a Jerry Jones joke Good job. because I'm Good above job. this. I'm Good above job. that alabaster. We got football topics. Spencer Hall. By the way, Spencer Dominique, did you know that he's running a strength program for sports media members out of his home gym? David Dennis Jr. was just there Doing what, Spencer? Deadlifting. Deadlifting. David Strong. Like, dare I say, he's, <laughs> he, he might even border into strong. Doing, oh. like, re, re, doing 315 for, for sets mm. of five. Damn. Yeah, mm. for, for a tall dude, man. Pulling. In, in, in the words of the great Ricky Waters, for who, for what? For, <laughs> <laughs> if, you have to, if you have to ask, you'll never know. This yeah, is I mean, yeah. I deadlifted. I deadlifted. I deadlifted for money. I, I like deadlift ain't a sexy exercise. Like you, you're not, mm -hmm. you're not getting no disagree. girls off the deadlift. No, we disagree. Well, I understand you get a little strength, but you ain't trying to break nobody. All right, never mind. Alabaster. Oh, you don't want me to read the stats off of Dominique's uh, rookie card where it says Those are not he can true. bench press three and is thirty five pounds, squat five fifteen. I bench pressed three fifty five and squatted five um thirty five. No, yeah, five thirty five. So, really? Right, he squatted five thirty five. <laughs> monster like what do you i was yeah no so that's the iron turp mm. i i was the the strongest pound for pound player on the team iron turp i was Damn. the iron turp by wow decks. like i work hard guys i work hard you should tell upper deck they need to up that I shout out to the shout out to the ancestors <laughs> <laughs> guys uh first first question turp. First question, which team should feel more pressure to make major changes this offseason, the Cowboys or the Bills? I feel like if you listen to what has been said in sports media as Dominique makes noises into his microphone that provided some sort of an answer, um, that the answer seems to be the Cowboys. Um, just because maybe it's the Cowboys and everyone feels especially existential about how an offense led by Dak Prescott can look so terrible. But I am curious, Dominique, why are you making those noises? Um... I guess because the, the question is a funny question because I think the answer is the Bills. But when you ask that question, what you're actually talking about, I think, is who should get rid of their quarterback and coach. And the answer is <laughs> neither. I think the Bills uh, should do one of three things or all of three things is get a legitimate 1A across from Stefan Diggs and lean in on Josh Allen putting up big numbers or overhaul the offensive line and design a running attack that again will take pressure off of Josh Allen. 
or revamp their defense entirely. These are all the things, and those feel like major overhauls, but I don't they think do. either team should get rid of like the the quarterback or the coach, which I think is like implicit in this question. And the Cowboys have a lot to get done also, but I think they are probably further away than the Bills are. Yeah, I, I think if everyone says the Cowboys, that to me fundamentally misunderstands the Cowboys situation as a franchise, the Bills have demonstrated a receptiveness and a responsiveness to people uh, who want them to be good. That's it. Ownership has shown that, that, you know, they actually care about the team being good. I'm not saying Jerry Jones doesn't care about the team being good, but when you haven't made uh, the NFC championship game in uh, this century, then guess what you are? You are a fish who is just enough on the hook. Okay. This is the entire pattern of the franchise. This is the entire pattern of Jerry Jones management styles to make sure that you're 10 and six, you're 11 and five, you're in the hunt. Oh, we came up close again. And guess what? It's the off season. I'm off to the ranch. That's it. Every year, y'all come back for the same worm, <laughs> same hook. There's absolutely no reason to believe that this level of good and this level of commitment isn't what you're going to get because you have two decades of data and you would have to ignore it to assume that they would make changes in any direction to improve what they're pretty happy with. 12 and 5 and oh, oh, so close. That's it. That's enough to keep you buying in. That's enough to keep the seats full in Dallas. And they will keep coming back regardless. So who's under greater pressure? I'd imagine the Bills because being good is a core component of what they need to be in order to put butts in seats, attract eyeballs, and get whatever ownership is going to want out of Buffalo. That includes, by the way, a run game to protect Josh Allen because I know if we're going to go ahead and pile on Dak Prescott, which is for some reason something that people really enjoy doing and say that he can't carry a team, I didn't see Josh Allen carrying that team either. Everybody needs a running back. Everybody needs a run game, particularly when you are as dependent on play action as they got at the end of the season. Also agree on that 1A. you got to have a second option. You give them that, I think they're going to be fine. So part of the reason why people are picking on Dak Prescott is because everybody is picking off Dak Prescott, right? Like this has been now 11 of 14 games where he has been picked off at least once. Um, the question though, and Spencer, I, I, I totally understand your point about the Bills having like major personnel questions, talent questions, Gabe Davis, not enough. Um, Devin Singletary was embarrassed when I picked him up on my fantasy team to play running back. Doesn't feel good that the Bills should feel decent about that. But the Jerry Jones question, I do want to return to that for a second, because he's the GM of this team. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about pressure being imposed, I mean, that's kind of alabaster. That seems to be where all of this starts. And of course, he is the guy who had the strongest, most notable takes against the quarterback that we have been talking about, incidentally. Pablo, it's it's January 24th and we're taping this. You need to stop talking about your fantasy team. <laughs> guys, <laughs> I lost in the semifinals. Nobody cares. And it still hurts. I beat all the NBA guys in my league, though. Not one care, not one person here cares, or not one person listening. So um uh Par Filipinos, great season. <laughs> what? What's the team's name? Pablo's Par Filipinos, great season. Oh, great season is not part of the name, it's just now how I want it. It needs to be part of the season. It needs to be like Tim and Eric. Good job. Great job. Right. <laughs> she put like good season at the end of it. I mean, so the, the Dak Prescott criticism is fair. He was terrible in this particular game and he had a lot of interceptions. But the idea that he is the problem or you should move on from him is completely absurd. Like Josh Allen yes. also has a lot of interceptions, but I recognize that Josh Allen's upside, like his high end play. Uh, he can reach it more consistently than Dak Prescott. And I understand why people would want him over Dak Prescott, but that's not the question. 
And so, like, changing Dak Prescott doesn't make sense to me because who you're going to get is always the age-old question for anybody whose quarterback is not Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow. Uh, anybody other than that, you're like, eh, we could do better. And who you're going to get? So you stick with who you got because you don't have anything else. And the same thing could be said for uh, McCarthy. Like, they've been competitive since he's been there and I yeah, that's the question i had short. dominique you're not you're not you're not increasing the heat under mike mccarthy huh i mean i don't have to increase it it's hot under him like i i guess i i'm a, just a little bit more uh risk averse i guess the assumption is that you can get somebody better definitively better i don't know that you know that you can get someone definitively better just because like the the game board is not set up the way you want it to be set up just shake it doesn't mean that it's going to come back set up better. Like, they've been close. And I know we don't like it if you can't win the Super Bowl every year. But they've been close and competitive uh, the last couple of years. I, I I don't know. what's Who's out there? I guess you could argue Dan Quinn, their own defensive coordinator, if they could potentially you lose him, then promoting him uh, might feel like an improvement. But I don't know. The, the Sean Payton experiment is – largely built, built around the idea that he could elevate Dak Prescott's play. And if you're of the belief that Dak is who he is, then that seems like a waste. I would, by the way, hesitate before taking the Dan Quinn bait. Unless I accepted my previous business model for the Cowboys, which is, again, keeping you on the hook just enough and being just good enough to keep everyone interested without actually winning anything. Uh, because Dan Quinn, you know, in his previous stop, that's exactly what he did. So yeah. if you went and you switched to Dan Quinn, that would be the way to go. I would highly encourage Mike McCarthy to keep his job by just not making any decisions in the last two to three minutes of a game. Just don't. <laughs> Have somebody else. If it involves a clock, if it involves a, tr a strategic decision, know your limitations. That ain't you. Go ahead. Let somebody else do it. Uh, yeah. What you're saying about the hook and the bait is that, like, Skip Bayless off camera is reaching back into his trash can and fishing out the Dak Prescott jersey. You're saying that, mm -hmm. um, in fact, the guy who punched his television yep. is going to get another television and just put the same thing on again. Mm -hmm. You will all swallow the same bait next year. It will just be, <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's what you do every single year because Jerry ain't dumb. This is a perfect business model. What are we going to do? We're going to keep you at a low simmer for two plus decades. That's what we're going to do. And if we accidentally win one, guess who gets credit? The old JJ. If we don't, <laughs> guess what? Guess who reaps the benefits anyway? Old JJ. He wins on both ends. Yeah, it's been a pretty impressive run. And I think it's hard to argue that there are there's anything more important to him than inc increasing the franchise value. Alabaster? Uh, question for you, Dominique. So Dak is 30 years old. And I think the Sean Pay Payton theory is interesting because what I wonder, and I guess we don't know the answer to is, is Dak Prescott just is what he is at this point, or will Sean Payton and an offensive coach like that unlock a new level that can take him from a very good quarterback to someone who could elevate a team to a Super Bowl contender? That's the argument. Like, I, I, I don't know what the answer to that question is. Sean Payton has done it one time with Drew Brees. So like, it's hard to, and I, it was impressive. Like the, the Chargers moved on from Drew Brees. They drafted Phillip Rivers, Drew Brees hurt his shoulder. Sean Payton took him when uh, I think other teams failed him on the physical. And then he built a hall of fame career. The difficult thing with that is 
parsing whether it was Sean Payton or Drew Brees. You know how, how much credit you can give to that person. It's not the it's not the same as Kyle Shanahan, where it's quite clear that everyone who plays with right. him plays above their head. So that's that's the question. I think we want to Sean Payton presents well. He's very familiar with people in the media, and I think we would like to believe that he's an offensive guru. Not to say that he's not. He may be. But I think it's hard because all of his all the evidence of his guruness is tied in with one specific player. I don't I didn't see him do anything with uh, Taysom Hill or with uh, Jameis Winston, who is a super toolsy guy who you would think that, hey, with the right coaching decision making, we could make him good. Nope. (laughs) They already got that guy. They already have that guy on staff. They don't need to go out and get that guy. They already have a guy whose success is tied to one supernaturally talented quarterback. Yeah, We we don't have to go out to eat for Sean Payton. We've got that at home with Mike McCarthy. (laughs) That's all, right? So, well, Spencer, though, the question about the guru, right? Like, this is also the Josh Allen question, right? Did he Mm -hmm. lose his guru? Did he lose Brian Dayball? And therefore, is Sean McDermott a fraud himself? And Ken Dorsey, obviously, more likely to seemingly get canned. Uh, Doesn't seem like McDermott will be. But the question of, like, let's change the guy who manages the guy that we need to be his best self. How realistic is that program in general? I think it's unrealistic without talent. That to me, like in the NFL, you have a bunch of dudes whose entire job is just to focus on tape, right? But none of that matters if I do not have the piece. And in fact, the piece can overcome some pretty crappy coaching and management. That's one of the stories of the NFL to me is is talent prevailing over management and more often than not mismanagement of talent, right? If Ken Dorsey is as bad as Buffalo Bills fans say in terms of exploiting Josh Allen's talent, then how good is Josh Allen for throwing 35 TDs this year with a scheme that didn't understand what he's capable of or what everyone on the the team can do together in a coordinated fashion? That to me, like, yes, good coaching obviously does make a difference. But if you don't have the pieces, if they don't have a running back, right, which it's weird that we have these circles, these cycles where we come back over. Yeah, running back has been devalued as a position, Mm -hmm. but it's still pretty valuable. Like when you need one, you badly need one, okay? Maybe two, maybe two, given the fact that nobody carries the ball 25, 30 times in a game anymore. You're going to need two, and they're going to need different skill sets depending on what you're throwing out there down to down. So uh, to me, the talent angle is the more important part, right? And I think ultimately when you go, well, why do the Bills and Cowboys have any hope in this, right? Well, they have hope because the pieces that they do have are spectacularly talented, you know? Like like the Cowboys, to me, pulling somebody like Tony Pollard, I'm a sucker for any player from Memphis who's a skilled player because usually they were under-scouted and they can do like nine different things because they had to, right? They still have a Tony Pollard. They, you know, he was injured in that game uh, and really wasn't a factor. So, CD. yeah, yeah. Lamb, like they've got so many dudes. And chances are, given who's doing all the drafting when Jerry's not looking in Dallas... <laughs> That, to me, that gives them hope because they're really good at prospecting talent. They've been really good at developing it in a lot of different ways. Um, and, and the same in Buffalo. Like, you know, they still, Buffalo gets the the, the crown, right? They, they get the ones who were like, we thought Josh Allen was Josh Allen. Right. Right. Yes. I mean, I think the, the, the windows for both of these teams, to me, right now, feel like they're around, um, or at least this type of window is around Josh Allen in his, like, 
early contract situation and mm-hmm. Micah Parsons around his early contract situation. Mm-hmm. Micah Parsons is on a Hall of Fame trajectory and you can build a incredibly good defense around him as long as you don't have to pay him a great deal of money. That's going to change real soon. They need to draft well in preparation for that change and optimize this team for being like a defensive power and and not an offensive power, which I think offends Jerry's sensibilities. Mm. Alabaster? Alabaster, yeah. Have your sensibilities been offended? Oh, no, nope. They have not been offended here. Oh, well, guys, I got an idea. Uh-oh. So I was just perusing online to see what – Number one receiver could be acquired by one of these teams to sort of oh, bolster Alabaster and big trade. Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Okay, so whose run is over? What team is cooked? The Los Angeles Rams. What do they need to do? Not f them picks. They need to get them picks. They can restart this franchise because that run is over. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't one of these teams just throw a pick, a first round pick, maybe two first round picks, and get our sweet beloved Cooper Cup? To be a 1B or a 1A in Dallas' tip. And wouldn't that change the scales for these teams? What do you think about that fake trade? I don't know what fan base would love Cooper Cup more. I know. <laughs> I, I think it's – I do know. I think it's Buffalo. I'm pretty sure it's, it's Buffalo. <laughs> they brought Dallas. back Cole Beasley oh, twice gosh. this season. Yeah. This they is, again, to... we're going to go back to the groceries metaphor. We're almost out of Cole Beasley. Like, Cole, <laughs> we're, we're, we've passed Pete Cole Beasley. We're yeah. going to need to re-up. Why don't we get – why don't we've been having the store brand Cooper Cup and Cole Beasley? Why don't we get the premium brand? Let's finally get us a Cooper Cup. Oh my gosh, yeah, I need that to happen. It would make me so happy and them so happy. Bills Mafia would never be so overjoyed. <laughs> Aaron, okay, guys, uh, should teams be willing to mortgage their free future, <coughs> Cowboys, to acquire Aaron Rodgers? We had a we had a Cole Beasley Aaron Rodgers segue right there. And we classy to take it, I yeah. guess. Yeah, we are too classy. I have no idea what you're talking about because I'm just that classy. <laughs> be- because you're owned by Pfizer, as was alleged <laughs> today. Oh, God. I don't appreciate that shot, Pablo. Oh, God. <laughs> so this mortgaging question, Dominique, right? Like the question of Aaron Rodgers here. You have, I believe, been on television telling America about a plan that you have. So I feel like we should see the floor to you. You have thought about this question in a way that you have debuted already. Oh, really? So give us, give us your solution. Yes. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't. Um, he should stay in Green Bay. I don't know the solution for Aaron Rodgers that seems more interesting than that. Like, I, I think that Aaron's talented and. A lot of teams need quarterbacks. They always need quarterbacks. So, like, if he becomes available, I I do think that some teams should mortgage a couple first-round picks in the future to bring Aaron Rodgers in if you feel like you're a quarterback away, particularly if you're an NFC team because he healthy and back to normal in a situation that makes him happy, he could be the best quarterback in NFC, which he was twice in the past three seasons. Uh, So, like, I don't think he's that far off. But I just don't understand why he would want to leave. Well, I mean, I understand why he would want to leave. But if winning, as he said, is the most important thing, I don't know that he's going to find a better situation than what he has in Green Bay. Yeah, I I can't imagine him being anywhere else because, uh, again, this is one of those things where 
where this is part of the model that Aaron Rodgers gets unhappy and then he is mollified by management in Green Bay. He becomes unhappy again and then he is remollified. So I think at this point, the idea, you're going to be uncomfortable either way. If he leaves, then he risks being the kind of aging quarterback laughingstock at a franchise that can't support him at all right? Where he's not comfortable, where he doesn't have familiar tools, where he is operating uh, as, you know, in deep water without much guidance, or he can stay where he's familiar. Even if he's unhappy, he can stay where he's familiar. And I think the only, like, the only information we've been given about Aaron Rodgers is that he would rather stay in Green Bay. That's it, right? That he would rather be, he'd rather grumble in Green Bay because otherwise he would have been gone already. Right. If no, I mean that 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 Dominique, well, that that's that to me is part of the thing, right? Like, if you're Aaron Rodgers, um, who believes, by the way, that being mollified that is uh, medicine, not a drug. Oh, um, he believes that. <laughs> laughing at my own joke. Uh, mm -hmm. He believes someone has to. I believe that he, Aaron Rodgers, wants a base of support. Okay, he wants people actually to clap for him, to like him, to laugh at his jokes. And I think if you're Aaron Rodgers, you know you're getting that in Green Bay, right? So this is on top of the championship contention question. This is on top of the um, power that you have over a front office question. It's sort of like the where would I enjoy playing in front of? Yeah, I, I, and it feels like Green Bay is still number one by far on that list. Well, I mean, I think like to Alabaster's question was, uh, should a team be willing to mortgage their future for Green Bay. I'm not sure about how Aaron Rodgers should feel about it, but I absolutely think that a team that's close should mortgage their future for for um, Aaron Rodgers. I, I think Washington comes to mind as a team that feels like they have a lot of good pieces, but you mm. don't have a quarterback to put them over the top in the NFC. Yeah, I, I know Schefter told us that the Packers will not trade him to in a, another NFC team. It's less attractive to stay in the AFC because it's a much more difficult path. The quarterbacks and the teams that are over there are much more challenging. But if if Aaron wants out, he wants out, and I think it comes up. It, it's up to him. But if it's the team, the acquiring teams question, the answer is yes. Like if you feel like you're a quarterback away, you don't get many chances at this. And I, at least in recent history, it's a, a model that's shown to have worked a couple times. It failed a couple times too. Uh, bringing in. Uh, a proven quarterback into a ready-made team. That's the Rams Super Bowl. That's the Bucks Super Bowl. Um, I think the Broncos, not so much. The Colts, not so much. That was what I was going to ask. I think a lesser pundit would probably ask the question, Dominique, what's the best fit for him in the AFC if he were going to be traded? Mm. I'm not going to ask that. What's the most disastrous fit if he had to go somewhere <laughs> in the AFC? A place where the image-conscious Aaron Rodgers, who is sensitive to every single mention of his yes. name who's probably listening to this right now but will deny it later what's the worst place for him to go sounds like you're setting me up for the jets <laughs> that's what it sounds like God. sounds like a new that york city problem incredible but he that does he answer. does drugs now that that um suppresses ego or something right so he's good yeah he's not worried about yeah, it he can, he can hasn't done it. enough of them is is uh spoiler alert Aaron uh, Rodgers needs to do a lot more ayahuasca. I mean, yes. it's about us, our enjoyment. I'd love to see Aaron Rodgers for the for the Jets next oh year. God, That'd be same. really. I mean, they might pull it off. They might not. Either way, it'll be entertaining as hell. Okay, guys. Uh, last football question: How careful should the Giants be about paying Daniel Jones and Saquon? 
careful as in like uh have your assistant take care of the paperwork or <laughs> careful in the sense of like we really shouldn't like we really shouldn't yeah because it like, feels like they're going to yeah but yeah i mean i i don't care it's some rich guy's money <laughs> give it to him yeah, they should be they should be ignorant with it they should yeah, yeah. park up back up a truck i like saquon you're talking to the, daniel the two wrong guys about this question <laughs> should no. a play, player get paid pay them everything <laughs> Yeah. I think from a strategic championship window standpoint, you the tough thing about the franchise tag is what you're talking about with the with the quarterback or the running back. Like I think you could probably use Derrick Henry's deal, which was like essentially a two year deal, to build off of that and hopefully Saquon agrees to that and you're not tied to a running back deep into the future. That's reasonable. The tough thing on the quarterback question is quarterbacks get paid top of the market money when they're when you are a franchise quarterback and you become eligible daniel jones is not i don't know what what i'm negotiating position he's going to take you could try to hit him with again to reference tennessee with a Tannehill style deal that's less cumbersome but if he rejects that he's i think more attractive in the marketplace than Tannehill. so then you're stuck franchise tagging him and the problem with franchise tagging a player is the point of franchise tagging him i think would be to buy yourself some more time to find out how good he is and you're trying to help him succeed is then it's like what we saw with Lamar Jackson is like, then you get in a situation that the better he does, the more expensive he's going to be. Mm -hmm. So he's not necessarily going to be as good as you have to pay him. But if you franchise him and then ball out and things go according to plan, then you're going to be paying him 50 million a year for the next five <laughs> years, which is different than 35 for the next three. And they've also got the poison pill of this. The one who I think is the more obviously talented one and the short-term investment to win is Saquon Barkley because right. to me, he is the more talented player. He is also the one whose position has the shortest shelf life and has been hammered by revaluation of the position by salary over the past 5, 10, 15 years. Whereas Daniel Jones, I, maybe. Like that's every like every question about Daniel but, Jones comes down to, yeah, he's, he's all right. He's pretty good. But, but 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 part of the curve that I think as now I guess I'm LARPing as Daniel Jones's agent here. Um part of the curve we should be grading on is that no one expected the Giants to be good this year. And if Daniel Jones for the end of the season until that game in the playoffs where they yeah, uh, soundly um were defeated. Um until that game, uh he was the number one quarterback by QBR in the NFL. And granted, that is a lot of running, and that is very short air yardage, and those things are always going to be part of his story, it seems like. But again, the question of, like, what are you going to do if not him? I, 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 I struggle to think that the New York Giants would rather reset than continue to take the roulette wheel, Spencer, the roulette wheel spin of the NFL playoffs if they can get there at this rate. We have a third factor that we haven't discussed here that calls back to an earlier discussion, which is this. Who's to credit for the success of the New York Giants this year? What's because Barkley and Jones were both there and then something else changed. Mm -hmm. Well, now we have to wonder how much of this is due to management, because not only do I have the information coming in from the bills that mm, Brian Dable played a significant role in the coordination of that offense. That's right. I can also look at the Giants and say, Hmm. You might've made Daniel Jones a lot better than uh, he was previously. I'm not going to say better than he is because what he is, is what he was on the field. Right. But in tandem with Brian Dable, everybody got a little bit better and that's cool. And that's great for the franchise. 
it is not great for a quarterback when we go, well, were you having your strings pulled? This is the this is the Shanahan issue. How mm -hmm. good are you actually as a quarterback? And how much of that is due to being framed up and plated nicely as a product? Yeah. I yeah. mean, if Dayball thinks he can do it, I guess that's it comes down that's... to him. It's like, does he think he can do it with someone else? And mm -hmm. I tend to think coaches have pretty big egos, and he probably does. So I, that would lead me to believe then why, why, oh, why? There's going to be a run on Dayball, by the way, the further the Eagles go too, right? Because, you know, we'll be like, oh, QB guru. <laughs> The guy who, you know, the guy who worked with Hertz in college, the guy who That's right. made That's Josh right. Allen into a monster. Yeah, there's, there's going to be a there's going to be a run on Dayball stock like through the postseason. Well, I feel like the Hertz college thing is strike against him because clearly Hertz is good. He couldn't make it work. Uh, you know, either that or hey, I just had to get out of the way of Tua. Should say, you know, I was good with him too, and he ended up in the NFL. See, we got you got to think about like. I read coaches' bios all day on college, and they take credit for guys that they bumped into in the hallway <laughs> once, and that's that's exactly what we're dealing with here. So uh, if I'm writing wait. it, I'll be like, he worked with them both, and they were both successful, Dominique. Write that check. Wait, write Spencer, that check. Spencer doing what AI is doing to the entirety of the written human word, but just for coaches' bios, <laughs> is a terrifying thing to contemplate. Chat now. GPT, but for the <laughs> management class of football. Pure evil, <laughs> they don't need any more help. Well, I hear um, the faint sounds of clanking. So I believe that's David Dennis Jr. threatening to muscle his way into the show. Uh, can't stop him. Um, he's just all of you guys. Yeah, I'm also very I can I can I can uh, dead bench all that stuff, too. <laughs> dead. All of it. <laughs> I'm so glad they didn't cut our conversation. We just had with Spencer about the DeMar Hamlin clone theory. <laughs> You got any thoughts on that, David? You 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 a body double, by the way? Yeah, I, me. It, I think I think the government conspiracy is it started with Gucci Mane, and <laughs> uh, they body doubled Gucci Mane a long time ago, and then Demar Hamlin, and then the master plan is all the rest of us. I think that's what they're. Uh, the government is doing so save us beware, alabaster beware. please save us. Like it's so depressing that I can't laugh anymore. Please, just guys, a question. I do have something that's gonna cheer us all up. It's time to light the beam. Um, are we ready to start taking the king seriously? It seems like our show is. I've been. I mean, in fairness, I also host another podcast, ESPN Daily. Every day, I'm like, is it time to talk about the Kings? Like, are we actually secure in the fact that this team, now third in the Western Conference, can sustain a conversation about how things are different now? And offensively, at least, they are very real. Very, very real. With a defensive-minded coach, which is, I, I guess, the most interesting part is we we typecast people based on their first role in the NBA, or frankly, in sports, so often. Uh, and I'm not using it as an accusatory statement. I've been guilty of it also, but like I think the Kings are typecast as I was going to say lovable losers, but probably irrelevant losers. De'Aaron yeah. Fox has been typecast as like explosive athlete but not a great basketball player i think mike selfish. brown yeah, yeah. selfish as <laughs> being nice mike brown Shoot has first. been characterized as like a defensive-minded head coach who's who won't evolve with the game but none of those things have been right this year all of those players have <laughs> been all those people in uh and entities when you speak of the the kings have been different this year but 
I'm a person and people uh, kind of go back to what they know. And you're going to show me a lot more than a good start for me to start believing in the Kings, baby. I'm sorry. The Foxworth rule, David, of caring about the NBA still applies. Oh, yeah. We're still in football season. It, Dominique is extinguishing this beam. Is what Caring about the NBA, yeah. caring no. about specific teams, players. Got to do it a lot more and do it after football season's over. <laughs> Well, first of all, I just want to say you guys told me that we were wearing tan. We were matching in tan today, but I guess y'all changed. I, I wasn't part of the group text, but whatever. Mm, uh, yeah. I, I think the Mike Brown thing is interesting. We just wanted it to I, look like you didn't have on any clothes today. <laughs> well, you know, that's that's my thing also. I like to try to go. I try to go as naked as possible. That's on, debatable on plus. Debatable plus right, gives yeah. you the bottom half of all of these yeah. squares. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alabaster was saying that we need a little bit of spice to sort of make sure we get eyes are on the show. So I tried to tease tease a little nakedness going on. It doesn't what's, work what's when cool? I have a reflection back there. Yeah, I can see that because you. Yeah, you know, see. this is actually sad if, for the podcast audience. You can see Dominique crunched into a little ball so much a little for nothing. Ball. For nothing. <laughs> that that beautiful burnt orange. Red anyway, the Aaron uh, Fox is good in the clutch. Yeah, no, the my. The Mike Brown thing is interesting because we associate him with the defense, with Cleveland and all that stuff. But he also coached, you know, did a lot of the heavy lifting for a season or half a season for the best team put together ever, which was that Kevin Durant Warriors team. I mean, they essentially went 15 and one with him coaching. They won, you know, a boatload of games uh, when he was coaching. And so he seemed to adapt to really offensive mindedness. He kind of, uh, leaned into the Steph KD pick and roll at the time. And that I think has informed a lot of the stuff that he's doing with the Kings. Like he's just letting it rip. They're um, fast as hell. Offense is insane. Yep. And Fox is in the clutch shooting something like 90% in the clutch, which is ridiculous, which is why I don't think it's, it's necessarily sustainable. Uh, but right now it's fun as hell to watch. I mean, it's it's not just the Aaron Fox, by the way. DeMontis Sabonis was a guy who did not seem at all like an all-star when they acquired him, controversially. Now, very clearly, is that. Um, Keegan Murray, the number four, number four overall pick, their first pick in the draft, is shooting over 40% from three. Damn Kevin Herter. Oh, like, don't you know. act surprised about the great <laughs> Terp. Uh, what's it? Uh... What's his nickname? Red, Red Velvet. Velvet. There we go. Bird yes. Orange Velvet. Um, that guy is an incredible scoring machine for them. Um, and then, yeah, add Fox to that, and they have a an offense that is, yes, top three in the NBA. And what's funny, by the way, as Alabaster points out by card here, that, yes, this is a team that has not made the playoffs in 2007. This is a 16-year drought that is a decade longer than the next team, <laughs> which I did not know until it just came out of my mouth. Um, it's just funny that they also have a catchphrase. I gotta, I gotta applaud the Kings on like, they have this light the beam thing. Like they're a team that was once, uh, maligned by the Lakers when they were rivals to them, to the extent that anybody was really rivals to the Lakers, which is not much, but they were like cow pasture town, cow town, I believe Shaq and Phil Jackson once called them. And here they are with a, with a, an internet friendly brand. Well, I, th I think it's important to note the 16-year playoff drought. It's very important to note that half the teams make the playoffs every year. Like, I think Correct. we need to nail that down, <laughs> that you are more likely to make the playoffs on a given year than not make the playoffs, and especially now with the play-in tournament. And they haven't done it since, you know, they are like a sweet 16th of not doing it. I'm trying to – I mean, I, I know we can go back to, like, C-Web and – 
Pages Stoyakovic. Yeah, white but chocolate. But like, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not even thinking about the last time the Kings were good enough for us to care about. I'm thinking about the last time the Kings were anything enough for us to care about. And the last <laughs> thing I remember is like the Halliburton trade is like they were being ridiculed for a, a dumb trade, right? Yeah. Which they got Sabonis out of that trade, which is obviously a core piece to this. But is there anything else in like Kings history that mattered? Because even like bad teams. We have like moments that we're like, hey, they were so bad that it mattered that we thought about them or talked about them. Like the Kings have just been like irrelevant <laughs> for so long. And well, I think it matters because they're in Caltown and like everything you guys told me about how social media was going to make it so big markets don't matter was absolutely wrong. I think it's important to note that I believe they had the first pick when Doncic on Doncic uh, draft year. Is that second, true? Second Maybe. pick. Second pick. Second pick. Drafted, yeah. They had... uh, the bag man, Marvin Bagley. Alabaster, the thing that comes to mind for me, not to interrupt you here, but to totally interrupt you here, was just when they had Vivek Ranadiva as their owner. Oh, like, yeah, he was talking about hanging court as a strategy. Yes, like, we're going to play. Cherry picking, <laughs> two on five. Because, because his, wasn't it like his daughter's basketball team was yes. doing it or something it like that? It was a New Yorker article that Malcolm Gladwell wrote about. <laughs> oh, All of gosh. this had the ingredients of utter disaster. Also, it, way, wasn't, it wasn't even his daughter. It was someone else's daughter. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, Malcolm yes. Gladwell wrote about him and his daughter and yeah yeah i remember that now yeah yes. famed nba expert malcolm gladwell who's uh <laughs> spent ten thousand hours watching basketball maybe I don't that's know. right uh, definitely not a fraudulent rule but the point yes. here is that yeah, they might actually still be fraudulent rule. i think and it is it absolutely is but alabaster defensively this is where like are the kings for real the answer is no they are absolutely not they're like bottom six i think last check or so in the nba right yeah so they are 23rd in defensive ranking but it doesn't totally matter right now because of the way Sabonis has unlocked their offense. Um, because that was that's the thing. They they got rid of Terry's Halliburton, which is a complete disaster because he looks like he's the best point guard, pure point guard in the NBA right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But they got a point guard that can actually play next to Fox and DeMontis Sabonis. That's the dude who makes their offense work. Um, and just while, while I'm interjecting for a second, worth noting that the most relevant things the Kings did over the last decade were DeMarcus Cousins' petulance and also having Jimmer Fredette. Oh, it's really Jimmer. How was Jimmer Fredette relevant? I don't remember that actually being a thing in the NBA. It was, it was like just hilariously <laughs> bad. <laughs> okay, gotcha. And, yeah. and then Marcus Cousins was interesting for a stretch there. I, I've, I've forgotten all about that, but you're right. He was really good. And, and mo weren't. most famously, uh, on the episode of Monday Night Raw, The Rock did a complete concert making fun of the Kings for like 15 minutes, where he oh. was uh, getting what they call heel heat in, <laughs> in the business, where he was in Sacramento making fun of them uh, nonstop. I feel, uh, so, I feel so bad. Like, I want to support you. I would like to get on. Like, yeah, I remember that, but I have no idea what you're talking about. I know who The Rock yeah. is. It, yeah, The Rock. Dwayne, Dwayne I the don't Rock smell what know. David just, is just... cooking right now, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, so, DeMontis, the best Sabonis, overtaking oh, beloved no. Arvidas. Oh, no. Ooh. Young, young, young. I mean, to go Arvidas full did, NBA did history. All, he young all... Arvidas. He did his. He did his before before Arvidas from... before Arvidas did his cross was crossed over to the yeah, mainstream. You like, gotta get, you gotta, you gotta was, check his so underground work. He I, was, that's he what was I'm hearing. Great. I keep hearing that. I keep hearing about these Arvidas mixtapes. But right. I re I saw him when he went mainstream. And he was good. It but was, you gotta, I, you gotta catch you gotta there. catch the uh the Arvidas gangster grills when you he ain't, was putting you up ain't like watched not you ain't watched not <laughs> nail snippet of European basketball. This is all people pretending that they see Arvidas be at his top at the top of his game. His South by Southwest shows. <laughs> all right, here we go. All right, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody. Admittedly, 
what uh, what Arvidas Sabonis did catch in front of national uh, television was a towel from Rasheed Wallace, who threw it into his face when they were on the bench with the Blazers together. That was um, not great for the movement. One thing before we move on. They're the three seed right now. And yeah. we know these standings are very fluid, particularly in the West where it's very bunched up. But if they were the three seed, they'd probably play the Clippers, the Warriors, or the Suns in the first round. Do any of you guys think that that would go well for the Beam team? Um, the, Yeah, I mean, it depends on health. And it also depends on the mentality of at least the Suns players. But Yeah, the Suns are the ones that I'm circling where I'm like, yeah. I don't know if I think they I have mean, it in them this I'd, season. I'd circle the Clippers too. It's because like, anything could happen with the health of that team. Uh, and they could be a, a John Wall-led bunch by the playoff time or relying on playoff P which is a risky proposition. Like I, I, I wouldn't pick Side the Kings necessarily, feet. but I don't think, yeah, I don't think that they are out of that. The only one that, I, I mean, the Warriors, just because their track record, um, I would say that they probably have no shot there. It would be the most King season ever to be a three seed and then have to play the Warriors in the first round. And yeah. like, that would be the most Kings way to end their, their good season. I know, especially because speaking of hipsters, all of these Northern California people oh. who are too cool to be Warriors fans are all over the beat, all over the beat. And it would be very funny yeah, if it ended yeah, the first weekend of this. Oh man. All right, guys, oh. moving on. What do you make of Pat Riley's comments about Kareem and LeBron? First of all, so, how, how do we have a basketball block of the show that we lead with the Kings and we put <laughs> and we put the King behind the Kings? Alabasta, we need to have a word. Light the beam! At ESPN, I, we're going to all get in trouble. There's going to be strongly worded emails for how dare you put the King behind the Kings. Anyway, go ahead. Um, Pablo, set us up, baby. Are so, we saying that Sabonis is not the next Kareem? Is that what we're trying to say? <laughs> it sounds that way. It's also sounding like Pat Riley is really enjoying weighing in on this. So Pat Riley talked to Ramona Shelburne. You may have heard um, on various blocks of ESPN programming, way above where the Kings tend to go, that LeBron James is about to pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the all-time NBA scoring record, a record that matters, one of those NBA records that really does seem to indicate quite a bit, not just to like fans, but to the people who hold them. And Kareem and LeBron, a bit of context here, don't like each other. There's mm -hmm. a real soap opera that is like rooted in real things, I think, at least partially, right? Because Kareem, who is on Substack, I still can't get over that. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on Substack, like criticizing and are you, are you, uh, um, pop uh, culture. Are you, are you called a, a subber, subscriber? What do you, what do you call uh, uh, I think I think I think Subber might be a different. Usually, usually oh, you call okay. them red pilled, but in this case, I think he's just actually into like <laughs> criticizing movies. No, stuff. I just meant people who follow him, who pay him. You just I don't know. I, I've sidetracked us. I just was wondering if you read the Kareem newsletter regularly. That's all. Oh, I I I am not a you, you subtract us. I am not a sub stack scriber. Incidentally. Oh, I think you call them. Uh, I think you call them hookers. <laughs> Skyhookers. Um, Skyhookers. Oh, I, like I got it the first time, but Pablo had to clear it up for, <laughs> for, the, people, for the people who are one step behind because that was a great joke. <laughs> it really was. So LeBron, 224 points behind Kareem. Pat Riley, the guy who, yes, was LeBron's boss in Miami. Also Kareem's boss with the Showtime Lakers and beyond. Um, Pat Riley says that Kareem is the greatest player of all time because of his longevity. Pat Riley is basically saying... 
I'm team Kareem now. And if you know anything about how LeBron left Miami, and he says some other stuff too, in fairness to Ramona, but if you know anything about how LeBron left Miami, this shouldn't totally be surprising either. It's so weird though, and kind of dumb to me. Like, I, I don't know. Like Kareem is never in this conversation, whether it's fair or not, as the greatest of all time, Kareem is never in this debate in part because we don't respect big men in that way. I, I, I don't know. Like it's Bill Russell, Kareem, Wilt, like those Shaq, those type of dominant big men are not in this conversation. It's always True. between wing perimeter players. So I'm not sure where he's coming from with the greatest of all time, but the idea that uh, Kareem's impact on the game, I mean, they, they outlawed the dunk in college because of Kareem. So like his impact is enormous. And then that sky hook play, obviously, or move, I guess, took the NBA by storm and they were uh, a dynasty and passed it on to magic, but he ain't LeBron. Like, off the court, he's more impressive than LeBron for, like, his social impact, not his, yes. like, not his uh, commercial appeal. But on the floor, and I know there's going to be a hive of old heads who are like, you didn't remember, you didn't watch it. You're right. I didn't watch it. <laughs> but based on the way y'all talk about that time, we skip Kareem. You, your, your old school NBA lovers, you don't bring them up. So why all of a sudden do I have to listen to Pat Riley tell me that he's better than LeBron? I do, you know, LeBron's averaging almost 30 points, 29.8, I believe. Uh, I just want to throw out there that Kareem, last time Kareem averaged that was he was like 28 years old. So I think that's that's important to note. I think, um, you know, what's inter what was interesting about Pat Riley was he seemed to be making some veiled idea that LeBron was stuffing the stats with the points, basically that Kareem stuck around because he was playing for a championship team and mm. LeBron is just over here just scoring just to score and break the record, which I think was the most sort of interesting part of this. Like, Pat Riley, obviously, like, there's obviously an axe to grind. Like, why don't we just go ask Isaiah Thomas about his thoughts on Michael Jordan <laughs> uh, next time and see, yeah. what, and see what happens. Like, that's there's clearly some pettiness going on here, but you know, he's going to speak to the old heads. The old heads are going to have his back on this and with the Kareem. And, you know, he knows what he's doing. I mean, so to the stat just, stuffing to the stat stuffing argument, what would you have him do? Like, you want him to sit out? You want him to not shoot anymore? You want him to not play these games? I just don't understand uh, how that's a reasonable criticism. He's been on competitive teams his entire career. For the past two, I guess, three seasons, they won it four years ago, right? Or they won it three years ago. Anyway, in recent history, he hasn't been on competitive teams. Every other year, he was in championship contention because he was there. Like, if you right. take him off of any of those other teams, I don't think that they're championship contenders. I don't know. I just – I find it – I understand wanting to celebrate your guy and celebrate the great history of the player, but I just find it kind of annoying to be, like, nitpicking at the clearly the greatest player of this generation as he approaches a, a milestone record. So, look, I think there's one way to talk about this story, which is to read into all of the subtweets by Pat Riley. And again, LeBron left Pat Riley high and dry and yeah. bitter as hell. There is no getting around that fact. The exit in Miami was like a thing that shook Pat Riley's confidence. And Pat Riley, if you aren't familiar, is as confident as any person who's ever been in sports, period. But the other thing about this that I just think is like objectively going to be interesting and very awkward is that the NBA is going to have to figure out how do you celebrate this when the guy that LeBron, like the NBA is yeah. otherwise pretty good about old and new, like They're passing coaches, right? Bill Russell's out there, RIP, of course, but like that's how it usually tends to go. In this case, 
Like, I think there's a non-zero chance that if you bring Kareem out there for that game when LeBron passes him, Kareem in like a post-game presser, put him at a podium together, Kareem's going to quiz LeBron on the books he claims to have read. Because Kareem read them. Yeah. Kareem's going to like have, Kareem I mean, read like, go read the columns that Kareem writes yeah. um, on Substack. He has, to Dominique's uh, reference there, real criticisms of how LeBron is using his responsibility as the most famous person in sports. Yeah. And again, Kareem has the authority, the high ground, literal figurative to, to talk about that stuff. If he asked LeBron what's on page five of the autobiography of Malcolm X, it's, it's over. He will never. <laughs> He's got the first two pages memorized, but it's over. <laughs> Sky hooking from the high ground. What you got, Alabaster? I think we can all agree, though. It's a lot better that LeBron is breaking Kareem's scoring record than Carl Malone, because that would be more awkward. <laughs> oh, um, gosh. Yeah, he's but... on the, the, yeah, the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, they just be like, uh, I just made that LeBron up, by the James, way. LeBron it, James. Write it down, Alabaster. It'd be like LeBron James is breaking a record that that nobody held. It's just a phantom record. <laughs> Two um, things. Respectrum. Write it down. We, Dominique needs to brand this. Number two, Carl Malone, definitely with John Stockton, subscribing to many Substacks. Yes, of course. And I've lost. Yeah, so at the far end of the Respectrum, it's lost all respect. And those two guys are past that. They're, they're way past that on the Respectrum. Carl Malone and John Stockton, but uh, not subscribed to Kareem's uh, Substack. Yeah, they are not. It doesn't matter. Alabas is cutting us out anyway because he's a jerk. But um, he has something to say. I'm sure. Go ahead, sir. Not cutting any of that out. Um, but I do think uh, to your point earlier, Dominique. Maybe it's our fault that Kareem isn't like the the yeah. total media's fault that Kareem's not mentioned enough in the sort of go debate because. <laughs> 19-time All-Star, six-time so, champion, six MVPs. He has every accolade that matches up like exactly with LeBron. I've I've heard the the pushback about big men in general is they they tend to take them out of the equation for whatever reason. Like basketball people don't like to include big men in that conversation. But I think that these things are intertwined. The the off the court nature of Kareem versus the off the court nature of LeBron and Jordan, those are connected. I think to why each of these players are viewed the way that they are viewed. I think Kareem it was generally, like aside from him taking like real political chances or stances that actually cost people real things and were real risk, he also was generally thought of as like a jerk by the largely yes. like white media then was Kareem wasn't for no and there was a lot of and LeBron is not only for the but he's got a whole media arm built up around it. Like he's in the and I think um uh Bomani's show on on HBO this week, like the best I watched the the best part of the show is the end where he kind of breaks down what LeBron's contributions have been to like social justice and like how LeBron relates to the union movement movement for the league. LeBron is bigger than all that, and he wants to be bigger than all that. He positions himself in a way that is not like Kareem, and I think that adds to the fact, or that increases why Kareem is not viewed the way that we would want him to be viewed. Magic Johnson is viewed that way is because Magic Johnson is affable and, and was not a part of the Cleveland Summit. Well, the Cleveland yeah, Summit, I mean, right, right, right. Now, go ahead, David. Yeah, I mean, I think LeBron's level of activism is important. 
and I think it has done some tremendous things. We can we can quibble on if it is as important. Right, he made a school. He's, he's right, done good done things, things, but there are but at the, critiques that are valid. To be clear, yeah, yes. but at the same time, it is a level of active, activism that allows him to keep his Nike stuff and allows him to you could like, argue that it elevates like, not only allows him to keep it that it elevates it which is not, yeah, a, that it not a problem him. and right and it, and it and he can still be a billionaire while doing these things kareem abdul jabbar was never going to be a billionaire because of who he is and so if you're kareem you're watching this guy get praised for doing this stuff and, and carrying this torch that you supposedly passed down to him but still upholding things that you just fundamentally disagree with like he disagrees with all of this capital, like hyper capitalism that LeBron James is still a part of, and he, you know, has a problem with the fact that they're tied with this lineage of activism. He doesn't feel like LeBron is battled like that, right. and that's think, totally fair. I think for that's him to, probably to feel that way. my guess. And having never met Kareem, is that that's the more offensive part. Is right. like being compared to LeBron as a basketball player. I don't think would offend anybody, but having the idea and like I'm certainly been a part of. This also where us in the media, as we represent the the like, I guess the progress of media, like we are the next generation. We are the evolution of the the white men who covered Kareem. Those white men who covered Kareem bash Kareem. Mm -hmm. And now Kareem's looking up and we're saying LeBron's just like Kareem while celebrating him. <laughs> it's like it has to be like, no, he can't be me. He can't be me in part because y'all love him and you celebrate him because he yeah. like put on a hoodie uh, after Trayvon Martin and you celebrate him despite the fact that he is like, how's that movie? No, well, House Party. Was that any good? Anybody seen that? House Party too. I, I'm going to see it. Uh, I have, I have a bias because friends of mine wrote it. Um, oh, so it's great. Great movie. Totally yeah, fantastic. I hear it. I've not seen it yet, it. but it's the greatest Go see movie it, everybody. Ever um, too late. Too too bad it came out too late for the Oscars. That would be <laughs> absolutely next year. Absolutely not going to take that. He's even vaguely sarcastic. Going to take it as totally sincere. Thank you. Uh, Cream, I love. I love what Cream's become though. Cream's like, yeah. Guess what? You didn't like me now. Check out all these posts. I don't need you. Yeah. Read them. And by the way, like the one thing, the one thing um, about like the basketball side of things with the big men, Alabaster, because you raised that question. And then we got to, I think, the deeper conversation. I think there's also just a thing of like when we talk about goats, it's also like that inner child. Like, who would you rather control in a video game? Whose body would you rather inhabit? Yeah. And nobody really wants to be like Shaq or even Wilt or Kareem. They want to be the perimeter guys who have the ball in their hands all of the time and do superhero things, which is another reason why Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is probably very angry that we just don't appreciate the art actually of, yeah, him dropping all those, all those hooks up people. Audience score for a house party, 60%. No. You know what? That's close to super majority. Mm, in this nice. America, Dominique, in this America, just the audience score. That's that's, so, that's progress. The audience score, by the way. I don't. I'm not going to interpret that stat beyond what I already yeah, assumed it to be. Yeah, that a, sounds good. That job, guys. Good. House party is uniting this this country. <laughs> uh, you think Kareem's got some top secret documents hidden in his basement? <laughs> he, named, he named himself Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when the government was surveilling everybody named Kareem or Abdul or Jabbar. <laughs> how how are you going to say that now?